Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. The rules have changed. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IEQ Radio, for Friday, August 6th, 2010. Episode 176 comes to you from Studio B in beautiful Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. My name is Cliff Zlotnick, or the Z-Man. Uh, Radio Joe is joining us remotely from a project he's uh, commanding down in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, we have intrepid Annie Kowalecki at the controls. Good afternoon. Good. Okay. Today's segments include uh, an interview with Lisa Rogers with Mycometer, the microband trivia question, halftime with Dr. Dietrich Weil, and the roundup. We've been updating and adding a blog to the IEQ radio website every, sh- every week after the show. Check it out at www.ieqradio.com. Now we'd like to thank our sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry East Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry East is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at John Don, J-O-N-D-O-N, Com. And our new marquee sponsor, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management, who provide management best practices and in-depth cleaning solutions to help keep readers ahead of the curve and successful in their daily operations. Visit them at www.cleanfacts.com and www.cmmonline.com for more information on these invaluable resources and to subscribe. Be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. To contact the show by phone, call 724-444-7444 and enter our show ID, which is 1547. You can also download the show by going to our website, which is www.ieqradio.com and following the link that says go to the show. The show is also available from iTunes. Don't forget, you can get your ABIH-CM points, IICRC, Continuing Education Credits, or ACAC Renewal Credits by emailing Joe and requesting a quiz. Joe's email is joe.use at ieqtraining.com. Our email addresses are also on the homepage of ieqradio.com. Last but not least, please visit the IEQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at ieqtraining.com.
win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to czlotnick at cs, charliecierracs.com. Or if you're listening to the show via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations to... Lisa Wagner, Piranha Marketing in Tempe, Arizona, for answering last week's trivia question by identifying the Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, as the federal government agency which requires manufacturers to attach a permanent label on textiles that provides directions for their care. Now for the microband trivia question for Friday, August 6, 2010. Name this substances a protein or protein-based molecule that speeds up a chemical reaction in a living organism. These substances act as catalysts for specific chemical reactions, converting a specific set of reactants called substrates into specific products. Without these substances, life as we know it could not exist. All right. Lisa J. Rogers is a chemist by education with over 30 years experience in the environmental health and safety field. She is the president of the U.S. subsidiary of Mycometer, a Danish-based research and development firm. Over the past 20 years, the focus has been on indoor air quality issues, and she has performed assessments, remediation design, litigation support, and expert witness services for hundreds of building owners throughout the Western Hemisphere. Lisa was a member of the 1994 task force that developed and drafted IEQ guidelines for the state of Florida and was later invited to participate on a NATO science advisory committee which developed international guidelines for indoor air quality issues. Ms. Rogers is the current chair of the ASTM committee D22.08, which is developing standard protocols for fungal assessments, sample collection, and analysis. She's also a voting member of the ASHRAE Standard 62.1 Ventilation for Acceptable Indoor Air Quality, the TC 2.4 Indoor Environmental Modeling, and the AIHA Indoor Environmental Quality IEQ Committees. Ms. Rogers has authored technical papers and articles for trade publications and has been a frequent presenter at national and international conferences. We're delighted to have her join us this week on IAQ Radio, and here's your intro music. Okay, Joe, over to you for the start the interview. All right, thanks, Bliff and Lisa. Thanks for joining us. Oh my gosh, that is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll, I'll tell you where to find it. I'll give you the link. It was, it was, we had quite a good time finding it. That's great. Oh, that is awesome, and I would love to have the link. And thank you so much for having me on today. I'm very honored to be on your show. Perfect. Well, it's our pleasure, and maybe you can help us. Uh, figure out what's going on at ASTM first, and then we'll talk a little bit about micrometer after that. Sounds um, good. D2208 standards. I've got a list of them here, and I'd kind of like to go down, and, and maybe you could give me some 
status on them, and then um, you know certain ones will do a little follow-up. Um, let's start with the standard test method for the categorization and quantification of airborne fungal structures in inertial impaction samples by optical microscopy. It's a mouthful. Uh, let's say that looks to me like spore trap microscopy analysis. Yes, this this title is the result of what you get when you have a bunch of scientists in the room together. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got status current on that. Where are we on that one, Lisa? Yes, that is actually a standard. That's uh, D7391. It was um, standard. It became a standard last year, and that is set and out there and available for the public to purchase through the ASTM website if they're interested. And it is essentially, as you said, it's basically a sport trap analysis. And how has the acceptance been on that so far? I'm not, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't do a lot of sample analysis. I send some in from time to time to a couple different laboratories. Uh, are you aware of how many laboratories have adopted that? Well, you know, there are quite a few laboratories surprising shocker right on our committee and so a lot you know they probably are um the best adopters since they wrote the standard you know outside of that i think because it's fairly new it was, became a standard at the end of last year that we still are trying to get the word out to uh laboratories that they need to be aware of this and there's a lot of effort associated with that i don't i have no idea how many labs have actually implemented or included this into their practice, but it's it's not um, it's not a rocket science kind of method. It's pretty much it was developed by um, you know some of the labs that are involved in the committee, but it, and and other uh, microscopists, and so it's pretty much their standard practice. It's just getting it into writing and getting it formalized. And how many people would would you have on a committee like that? Well, you know, we're not limited. Um, we technically have 80 people who belong to the committee. Um, but typically for our, we meet twice a year um, in April and in October. And we usually have about 20 people who show up for the committee. What, what being on the committee allows you to do um, is that it allows you to look at standards as they're being developed and comment and have your input into that. Um, all of these standards go through uh, basically a three uh, a three part balloting process. It's balloted to the subcommittee, where the subcommittee uh, the, actually the subcommittee is divided into sub subcommittees. So we're not not everyone is working on every standard every all the time. We have you know different tech work groups basically that work on the different standards as they're developed. So then there's a subcommittee ballot. Then it, once it passes subcommittee ballot, it goes to main committee ballot. And that is everyone who's under D22, which is the air quality um, committee for ASTM. Okay. If it, once it passes the main committee, uh, D22, it then goes out to society. And so anyone is, can comment on the standard when it's in society if you are an ASTM member. And I have to say that really it's, it costs $75, and I'm not, well, I guess I am plugging ASTM here, aren't I? But it costs $75, but it allows you to look at all of these standards and have a voice. And to me, that's a really important part of anyone's practice is to be involved, get involved in the standard-making process. It's, it's very rewarding, but it's also, you know, it's fundamental to, to your practice. So it goes that 
to the members of ASTM first and then to the general public? or um, It actually goes out to the members of ASTM, but it doesn't really go beyond – the general public doesn't really get to comment on it unless you're a member of ASTM. I see. Okay. Yeah. And is, is that an ANSI, American National Standards Institute standard yes. as well? Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so now we have that all, all the background down here. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Um, this is the one I've heard the most about, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have as well, the assessment of fungal growth in buildings. And um, where are we on this standard? And can you uh, give us a little update to, you know, where we're at on that one and what that's about? Okay, sure. Absolutely. This is uh, this assessment standard has been in probably been in the works since the beginning of this particular subcommittee, which was, let's see, we've been in existence for five years now. And this has been a very difficult um, standard to, a standard guide to get uh, published. We are still in uh, what we call in main committee with this. Um, this the assessment guide as it stands today uh, was balloted to main committee earlier this year, and we have the comments back. There were only two negatives, and there were about eight affirmatives with comments, which are basically editorial kind of things. Um, so this will have to resolve the negatives, in, uh, incorporate the comments from the affirmatives as they're applicable, and then... Um, and then it will go back to main committee for a vote. And then once it passes main committee, which I feel pretty confident it will, it will then go out to society. Um, and once that happens, I expect next year this will become a standard. So I, I notice on each of these you've got a um, technical contact. And is that like the subcommittee chair or is that just – I'm not sure exactly how to uh, phrase it. It's Larry Pierce on this particular one, I believe. Correct. Le um, each – work item, and this would be considered a work item right now, each work item has a technical lead that's basically someone who maintains the copy of the document, makes sure that the most re he has all of, the, or he or she, have the most recent comments, and it works through and kind of guides through the group that are working on that particular um, work item. So, okay. on, for, so for D2208, if we have 80 members, we may have five to ten people working on any one of these different work items at a time. I see. Now, there was one floating around a while back, I guess a couple of years back, and, and there was some, and well, we had people on the show who felt that was close to being done and ready to go out, but from talking to you earlier, I understand that that, that one has changed the, at least some, if not, I don't know if you want to go into the detail about how significantly it has changed, but for people to get a look at that, they would have to join ASTM at this point? That's correct. Okay. Um, sure, I can kind of go through that. When, as any new committee gets together, they have very ambitious um, agendas. And to write an assessment guide for the, fungal of, uh, for the assessment of fungal growth in buildings can be a pretty um, exhausting uh, kind of um, endeavor. And so I think in the first three or four years of this, we had a, a guide, an assessment work item, uh, assessment guide work item out um, that was um, we were working on, and it was a, just a very ambitious document. It covered a lot of different issues. It was 
it was just very difficult. And every time we balloted it, we had a large number of negatives. We had a very hard time resolving some of the negatives. And so about a year ago, we decided to reevaluate what the, what the assessment guide or what we wanted this assessment guide to do. And we decided to scale it back a little bit, focus down on what are the very essentials of assessment for fungal growth in a building. Let's carve out all of the ancillary aspects of this and just focus on what is, very, what is the most essential part of a fungal assessment, in a, a fungal growth assessment in a building. And so from, we've pared down the, the assessment guide, um, and I don't mean that in we've left anything important out. It's just that we've refocused it. And this is the assessment guide that we have um, that we're working on right now and is being validated right now is um, a very, uh, it's a minimum standard uh, guide. It focuses on what is fungal growth and distinguishing between fungal growth and discoloration. It focuses on what are the causes and looking for those and documentation and things like that. And it references other aspects like sampling and testing and things like that, but it doesn't really go into any detail or specifics. That will actually be the next set of guides. And it's interesting, I should bring this to a point that um, ASTM and an international standards organization, or ISO, work very closely together, and we try to make our standards complementary to each other, or, or even, and in some cases, adopt each other's. And so the ISO actually uses this methodology as well, in that they have written, they have guides for sampling, guides for assessment, guides for, you know, it's a very step-by-step kind of thing in its focus, and that's where we've taken this. And we feel that um, since we've just balloted our new revised guide, and we had so we had uh, so few comments and very and a lot of very nice comments, that um, are very supportive comments that we're in the right we're going in the right direction. Okay, so it it will it, I guess what I, would it be fair to say that's kind of the the over I don't know how to explain it the the standard that would kind of be at the top of the issue, and then these other ones that we're talking about are all kind of things that you may also do in addition to doing this assessment of fungal growth? Absolutely. I think you hit it right on the he- nail right on the head there. Um, that this is, this is the bare minimum of what you would do. When you walk into a building, these are the things that you need to look for. And it's mostly visual, I would say. And then we reference in the document other aspects of a assessment that may be necessary or that may be helpful, or maybe provide more clarification. And those are, are referenced, but they'll also become, uh, we'll also go into more details in new guides uh, that we'll be developing. I see. Now, let me, let me hit on an issue, because I'm, I happen to be on a project where, you know, I'm, I'm pulling my hair out down here over uh, something that somebody did to a building that wasn't too, too bright, I guess. But... Um, the obvious major issue when you've got any kind of fungal contamination is moisture, and I'm curious how you handle the moisture issue in this current edition of the assessment of fungal growth in buildings because I don't see any other standards that you would refer to with respect to how to determine the level of moisture and whether there's enough moisture available for fungal growth. How do you handle that in the standard now, if you can tell us? Oh, sure. No, that's a very good question, and it is a big part of this 
uh, assessment guide is, and it talks about, um, there's a whole section uh, uh, that talks about water intrusion and the importance of, you know, that building, we call it building moisture. And what are the characteristics? What, where would this moisture come from? Um, how, you know, what are areas that you should look for and look at within that environment? And we don't talk about um, actually uh, the measurement of moisture. And this we refer to it as, uh, um, we refer to it as a, something that should be considered and it would be a way of maybe quantifying or uh, refining your in, um, assessment of the moisture as opposed to just a visual or a, um, uh, an, you know, a kind of a more generic assessment. Um, and there are a couple of uh, documents out there that do talk about um, using moisture meters for uh, measuring content that actually are ASTM standards. And there are ASTM standards that do um, help me uh, refer to the measurement and different types of moisture meter, using different types of moisture meters and things like that. So that's I actually. Mm -hmm. So it's not a part of the D2208 set of. Uh, technical standards or guides, but there are others within other committees, I guess, that you refer to. That's correct. Exactly. Uh, Our committee only deals with, specifically with mold sampling and analysis. Okay. Or fungi. It's becoming clearer to me here. All right. <laughs> All right. I hope our listeners <laughs> All right, let's let's go to the next one. Um, standard <laughs> test method for the categorization. I'm having trouble with that word today, and quantification of airborne fungal structures in an inertial impaction sample by optical microscopy. Maybe I already hit that one. I might have doubled well, that one. Yeah, what happened? I think what you're, you're reading off of um, something I gave you, and I realized when I uh, sent it to you, it's like, oh. They have, they have it listed as a work item, and I think what happens in um, on the ASTM kind of lists it. Um, it's a work item that's been worked on, but that's actually the standard that we have we okay. have finalized. That's so, the completed one. All that's right. complete. Check that. Okay. That's a check mark. <laughs> Beautiful. Next one: examination of fungal structures on tape lifts by optical microscopy. That's one I have a, a couple quick questions on there. Where are we on that one first? Um, that is, uh, that standard has been um, balloted by uh, um, subcommittee and is in currently under main committee ballot. Um, there, this is a, a standard we've done a lot of work on, and they recently have revised the way they're going to categorize um, the structures that are counted on the sport on the tape lift samples. And this is uh, we've kind of. This has gone around quite a few blocks, shall we say. Uh, Michael Brew is doing an amazing job. We did have quite a few comments um, from this last round of balloting. So this is going to take probably a little bit more time. Um, I'd say it's maybe a year out. Yeah, that one seems like it would. there would be a lot of different opinions on how you would kind of categorize the level of growth or the level of... Um, I don't even know. I can't call it growth because you've got to deal with settled spores. You've got to deal with actual growth. Do you, are you looking at it in that manner, or is, did you decide to? I, I thought there was another standard further down the road here. 
um, settled fungal spores via surface tape lift. Is that what you decided to do, kind of split that up? Um, no, it's actually looking at, this one is for the analysis. We have, um, I should back up just to some extent okay. in that we have test methods and, or standard methods for sampling, and then we have standard methods for analysis. And the first, these first two, um, I guess the first three documents that we've worked on w with a lot of detail, the one that's been the standardized, that's the analysis, the assessment guide obviously is important, but also the analysis on the tape lift is another part of that. And this is specifically what the laboratory is doing, the analysis so site. It would be something that hopefully someday laboratories will all start to standardize too. Instead of me saying, you know, one lab has one, one plus, two, two plus, another has low, you know, moderate, high, very low, blah, 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 et cetera. It would be something that the labs would hopefully kind of co, you know, uh, start to use consistently when we see tape lift sample analysis. Absolutely. That's exactly okay. correct. Okay, then my follow-ups are on the other one. All right. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. no problem. <laughs> All right, and Cliff, jump in any time if you want here. No, it's okay, Joe. I, I know I'm dominating Lisa's time here, but I'm, I'm having catch fun up with on, this one. I'll catch up on the other half. Okay, okay. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. We've got um, collection of total airborne fungal spores via inertial impaction methodology. So now we're into the collection phase of things. That's correct. Okay. And where are we on that one? That is um, in progress. We expect to go to subcommittee ballot on this um, in this next round of balloting. That subcommittee ballot is the first, you know, the first cutoff point where we'll have to go through, go through that ballot. We'll get the negatives. We'll resolve the negatives. It'll go to ballot again. So it's just beginning the process of balloting. Would, and would, it be fair, standard. would it be fair to say that um, the, I don't know, you can help me with this, the collection side, now we've already discussed that you have the standard for the uh, sample uh, microscopy, okay, so for the analysis of the sample. It would seem to me that the sampling or collection of the sample standard would be a little easier to get some consensus on. Has that been your ex uh, experience? <laughs> you know, as much as just with the working on this, working on ASTM committees and working on ASHA committees, it's not easy to get consensus on anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, and that's not always a bad thing. I think it actually, I think consensus doesn't, create, you know, an easy consensus is probably not, uh, doesn't produce as good a standard as you'll get when you have controversy. I think the, the examination and the, the um, evaluation and looking at these standards from other people's perspectives and getting their input is just this really wonderful um, process that we go through that creates a really uniform, a really adoptable, and a really valid standard for everyone to use. So um, consensus is not a word that we use very often <laughs> on the committee, but that's okay because we have really amazing, um, just the, the people who are on the committee and working on these committees are just really amazing, and they have some really great ways of looking and, and trying to build so that every, you know, there's so many, I, mean, I should back up, there's so many different kinds of spore traps, 
if we want to use the vernacular here, or inertial impaction, if we're going to use the technical um, devices out on the market, that we had to, we have to write a standard that doesn't exclude anyone. Exactly. Okay, that was my. I was you kind of anticipated my follow-up there. Yes. I think it would have been easier to write eight or ten years ago. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. But we want to be inclusive enough, but not so inclusive that we we include. Um, we, well, let's put it this way: we want to be inclusive, but we require performance. Gotcha. And so that the performance aspect is what would exclude a method that may not be, you know, or a technology or a you know a device that may not be uh, up to par. All right. Let me reorganize this real quick before we go to halftime. So we've got a um, assessment of fungal growth in buildings. That's kind of the overarching, you know, the the main standard under which, and it will refer to several of these others. And we've already discussed now the collection of what I'll refer to as spore trap samples or inertial impaction. And now we've also got one that's actually completed, and that is the um, the analysis, I'll say, of spore trap type samples. So, am I on so far here? No. You are on the money. Okay. And then when we come back, we're going to briefly talk about a couple of others that you have going here with respect to uh, settled spores on surface. Oh, we also talked about analysis of surface tape lift. So, when we come back, we'll talk about collection of surface tape lift. And then we'll talk a little bit about collection of surface swab and collection of culturable airborne, and we'll be through our standards. That's correct. All right, great. Cliff, do you want to take it over for half time? Sure. Great. Okay. Uh, let's do our sponsors. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Pro Restore for cleaning, odor removal, and antimicrobial products remediators trust and depend on. Visit them at prorestoreproducts.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dries Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings, Dries is first in drying solutions. Learn about them at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Dr. Dieter, any comments or questions uh, after the first half? Yeah, I listened very carefully, and I remember the old days when I was an engineer, <laughs> and I worked with some ASTM and, for that matter, ASHRAE committees, 
And my problem was, <laughs> and Lisa alluded to that, if you have 50 people in there, A, it's tough to get them together at the same time. And even if you meet twice or three times a year, the guys who were there in January are all of a sudden not there in September. And it is a mess, and that is certainly one of the reasons why it takes forever and ever to get something through. Um, but that, that is all right. I have a, a, a couple of technical questions, I guess. I try. The first one is that name micrometer. I do seem to remember that several years ago, there was a gang, I think, associated with the University of Florida, one of the universities in Florida. It may have been the University of West Florida. They had a gadget out. I think they called it micrometer. They advertised in IAQ, a Indoor Air Quality Association Connections, our newspaper. And um, they had their gadget out to measure, quote, molds, end quote. And I don't know, does this any, have anything to do with what you are doing today? Well, hi. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I, I have, my first reaction is no, unless um, you are possibly referring to Dr. David Krauss, who was um, up about, uh, I guess it's been about three years ago now. Um, he was uh, got his doctorate and went, did extensive work at the University of South Florida. Maybe South Florida, that's right. And who, he did his... Friends of mine from the University of Pittsburgh are professors down there. Oh, okay. And they, have, they did a lot of work. Um, he actually did his doctorate, uh, Dr. Krauss did, uh, using the micrometer, and then that's, he was actually um, a distribution. Okay, now it makes sense, yes. Yeah. So that may be what you're referring to, yes. Okay, have another question on uh, A, the collection, I guess that is one of the standards, and then the analysis of impaction uh, devices uh, to count, estimate, uh, collect, and, 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 and count uh, both spores in the air. And the one, I have uh, several problems with that. A, and you said, well, there's one of the things we just can't say. You have to use the one sports wrap from company A, and you can't use any one of the others. And I can understand the problems that can arise from that. But I worked years ago when we were working on the asbestos fiber counting standard with NIOSH, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, which, of course, is the research arm for OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. And um, yeah, the, the, the one of the big questions is, is the microscope itself. You can buy a lousy microscope, and they tell you that it has a 1,000 magnification, and that the whole thing costs $600. I worked with a Zeiss microscope, which cost $35,000, and when I say I look at it with a 1,000 magnification, it's a heck of a lot better, and the bottom line is, what is the resolution of your tool? Yeah, if you can't see it, you can't count it. Right. Exactly. So we have to do that, and perhaps due to the fact that um, a, a, a very good microscopes are on the market today, may have something to do with the asbestos fiber counting. 
So I, I think, I mean, we obviously have to specify the resolution of those uh, microscopes. Like I said, if you don't see it, you can't count it. The other thing that bothers me, and I wish I were back in my laboratory at the University of Pittsburgh, I could do that in the better part of a week or two. Now, let's make that a month. Um, that some of these cartridges, you get the, the, the sports wraps, and I don't even want to mention names. They said, we have research data that shows that ours is better than theirs. Better perhaps, perhaps, meaning we collect more. So I know of about five or six, and I'm sure there are more, uh, uh, sports wraps over there, and they run all at a specified um, uh, uh, airflow, of course, that is part of the impaction parameter, one of the major uh, parts of the impaction parameter. And, you know, I could test that one very, very easily. I take the sports wrap, and behind it I put a filter, and we go into the same environment. Then I have the sports wrap of both of them, of sports wrap A and B, and I have filter A and B. Then I incubate the filter of A and filter of B, and I see on which one I have more um, uh, colonies. In other words, do these sports traps quote, well, I don't want, never ever say 100, never ever say zero. Uh, do these sports traps, do we have really good data? Everybody says they have data. I looked around and I didn't like them. Are there data available that shows that our sport trap is at least 100, uh, 99%, not 100, 99% efficient for mold spores? Now the question comes, what kind of mold spore? There are some of them which are one micrometer in diameter, three micrometers, five, that is yeah, the aspergillus and penicillium, and there are certainly there are uh, mold spores which are 50 and 100 micrometers in diameter. So what are, we, what are we measuring? And that bothers me until today. If I, again, if I can't see it, I can't count it. If I didn't collect it, I can't count it either. So I think it, we should do, like I said, I wish I were in my laboratory. I could do this. I, mean, I would have fun doing it. And I would do it for free just on Saturdays and Sundays and heck with it. So I think blah 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 ASM versus ISO the number uh, the, the notes I made over here. Yeah, I'm kind of through. I'll come back later on. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, back to you, Joe. Okay, Lisa, do you want to make any, any comments for, on what Dr. Wam just mentioned there? Well, I just want to say that I I agree with him that it there is a lot of. Um, there are a lot of differences between the different collection uh, spore traps, if you will. Um, and it's important uh, to the individual practitioner to understand what the limitations of each of these devices are. In our methodology, what we are trying to do is set a minimum standard for uh, performance that would include, you know, from, an, from a... Um, analysis standpoint, a minimum uh, resolution, as well as, um, you know, the amount of area that you um, measure or you read on a slide. Um, we also, you know, in the collection side, there's a minimum um, collection efficiency. So we've, we're trying to integrate in what would be considered minimum acceptable standards to try to um, 
allow the, the practitioner from one site to the next or from one practitioner to another to be collecting in the same manner and with the same um, uh, same performance, shall we say. Now, that doesn't ensure that, uh, that doesn't say that one sample is ever going to be enough, and that's my own personal opinion. Um, but it's, and it's not saying that by collecting this way or by analyzing this way, you're going to characterize, do the best characterization of a space. What it's going to say is that it's going to be, we're going to we're trying to create some repeatability and some minimum performance that this is a proper way to collect that sample. Does this make sense? Okay. Yes, it does. And I, and you know, I can imagine if you had a Dr. Wow, and I'm sure you have about 15 of them on your committee, um, I can see now why it takes a while to develop these standards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tough. I mean, it's really tough what you've, uh, what you've been trying to do here. Let me just, um, because we want to get into micrometer a little bit more, and I know that was one of Dr. Wow's questions. Let me just kind of run down these other standards that are in development, and I've got one specific question on one, and then we'll, we'll move forward and talk a little bit more about micrometer. And guest 30, we've got your uh, text question here. We'll get to that as well, maybe during the roundup. Um, we've also got a collection of settled fungal spores via surface tape lift techniques. So that's just your, the collection component. Um, and then you've got the, uh, the, the microscopy component covered as well. And with respect to these settled fungal spores, I guess the title kind of had me questioning. Are you going to um, differentiate between settled spores and what um, IICRCS 520 refers to as actual growth, or are you using some other, um, you know, some other method of categorizing these exactly? What, what, where are you headed with that one, if you can tell us? Sure. Well, these last. Uh, three, the standard practice for the collection of, well, basically the collection of tape lifts, the collection of um, swab, the collection of swab using swab surfaces from swabs, and the culturable are all in the very beginning stages. And these are titles that have kind of been attached to the document, but they aren't actually the final titles that we would, it, it is not clear whether I should say um, at this point whether these will be the final titles. And I'm not sure. Um, I don't believe that this uh, collection of settled spores is specific to spores and not actual growth. Obviously, when you take a tape lift sample, you may be getting any kind of thing. <laughs> you know, you're going to get all kinds of different pieces and parts and organisms there. And so I suspect, and I again, we're really at the beginning stages. We've been focusing on these other, the ones we've previously spoken about, um, that there will be differentiation and there, it won't be to the exclusion of other things. Okay, got it. And I think that's pretty good that you, you just summarized the last three. Um, we've got the culturable airborne collection. Um, we've got the swab collection. And uh, I assume you'll probably go into um, the, you know, the microscopy on these as well, or do you already have those in, in place? We haven't set up work items. These are just the work items that we've actually entered into the ASTM database that we intend to work on. We will have analytical procedures for each one of our sample collections. We'll follow that. Yeah. Okay. Now, 
real quick before we leave the samples, I've got uh, a quick question that I, I just have been dying to find out. Which of these standards has been the most difficult, up to date for you to achieve any kind of consensus or well agreement on? Let's say. I would have to say, hands down, the assessment guide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's been worked on the longest and by the most number of people, and I think we're finally coming to a conclusion. But it's been a five year process so far and and I I believe that there will you know it, there may even be more uh it may even be a six year process but we'll see I'm hoping that we'll we'll be able to get this cranked out here pretty pretty quickly great now let's let's go on to the, the micrometer technology a little bit I'm I'm wondering if you could give our listeners a little background on you know what the micrometer technology is and and confirm for us i believe it started in europe and that um you've been with them about three and a half now years now as i remember can you tell us a little bit more about um how that technology got started and then maybe explain to the listeners a little bit about how it differentiates from other types of um uh, tech similar technology i guess okay Sure. Um, well, my computer was developed um, out of some research at the University of Copenhagen about ten, a little over ten years ago. Um, it was the initial, the original um, methodology was used to look at uh, the amount of fungal biomass in soils. So you can imagine what a difficult matrix that was. Um, and they found that it was a very robust and very repeatable kind of technology. And so they decided they, uh, molds was, you know, a big issue in, in Denmark, and they worked with some inspection companies and some remediation companies to apply that technology to um, the indoor air quality and fungal assessment and, and remediation environment. Um, it's, uh, the micrometer technology is an enzyme-based uh, technology, it looks. Uh, it's look. It is measuring the amount of fungal biomass um, on a surface in the air or in some bulk material. It's a very. Uh, it's a really. It's a rapid technology. It takes about 30 minutes, um, 20 to 40 minutes, shall we say, to do the analysis. So it's something that can be done and it's portable. So it's something that can be done on site, which is one of the advantages I think for the for looking at for using this technology. It does not differentiate between um, taxa, but it is going to, and it doesn't differentiate between viable or non-viable. In other words, when um, a micrometer test will look for an enzyme that's very specific to um, filamentous fungi, and it will look at, and, and that enzyme is present in both viable, non-viable spores, hyphal fragments, mycelium, any kind of piece and part that's there. And this enzyme is very persistent in the cells, uh, in the cell walls and in the cells, um, even um, from a viable organism, even as it becomes non-viable and desiccates and starts to degrade, it's still present in the, in the cell. And so this technology gives you a little more... Um, shall we say, a consistent um, look at a, you know, or an assessment of surfaces and air consistently because it's not differentiating or parsing out um, different aspects of the fungal ecology within a, within a space. How would it differentiate from ATP testing? 
Okay. That's a good question. Um, it's different. It, it's uh, different in several aspects. First of all, um, our technology is a fluorometric technology, um, and ATP is bioluminescent. And why that's different is um, bioluminescence is a chemical reaction that gives off light, and fluorescence is a um, it's basically creating um, well, is energy where um, light is absorbed and then it's re-emitted at a different wavelength. We don't really have a chemical reaction that is actually done. Uh, on the micrometer test is, um, let me briefly describe that and then I'll get back to the ATP. Um, the micrometer test, when I talk about it, it's in looking at enzyme activity. We have a molecule that's the proprietary or patented um, aspect of our technology that is um, basically moves, can migrate through the cell wall and doesn't require you to, it doesn't destroy the organism or have to, it doesn't require you to open up a cell wall of the organism. It just migrates through the um, cell wall and the enzyme will cleave this molecule in half. And when it cleaves that molecule in half, it's releasing a fluorophore that we've introduced into this molecule. Um, it releases that into the liquid. The more enzyme activity is present, the more, um, the more fungal material that is present, the more en enzyme activity is present, the more fluorophore is released into the environment or into the liquid. And so what we're actually measuring is the amount of fluorophore that's in the, the resultant liquid. So it's a very elegant technology from that standpoint is that it's not, it's not very complicated. It's a very simple, a very simple technology. ATP is a really, it's a good technology, but it's a lot more complicated chemistry. In other words, to, an ATP test requires uh, it requires the cell wall to be cracked open and the ATP to be extracted and interact with the luciferin luciferase to, to bioluminesce. And some cells are a lot more difficult to open up than others. For instance, spores. You know, spores are, are, um, have uh, a very robust shall we say, defense mechanism. It's, you know, they're supposed to go out in and, and the environment and survive and then and grow at some point, hopefully. And, but they have, a very, they have a very tough shell. And so the ATP to get through that, particularly on spores, is very, it's not always very consistent and not always as easy to do. The other thing is that ATP is the, basically the life energy of a cell, as many of you, I'm sure, understand. And... Um, they, um, <clears throat> that life energy is persistent. It's being used by the cell, and then it builds back up in the cell. It's being produced and used in the cell as it's growing and living. But once the, the cells start to die, that ATP also starts to dissipate. And so you have the, the primary, um, you know, a viable organism, is, it's going to be much more reactive to a non-viable or a desiccating organ, um, cells or material it's not going to have the kind of signal that, that you might have with, say, for instance, the micrometer. Um, the other thing about ATP that I think is important to understand is that ATP is in all living things. And so even in your, even a fingerprint, if you took your finger and wiped it across the surface of the environment and then you tried to do an ATP test, you would, still get a react, you would still get a response because it's in the oils and in the dead skin cells that you've left behind. And so, or in the skin cells that you've left behind. So, you, um, you know, 
there's a lot of background noise that's a potential for the ATP. So because I, I think the main difference is ATP is not as specific to a particular kind of um, microbial material, and the micometer is very specific. So that probably is the biggest difference there, I would say, you know, in addition to some of these other things that I've expressed. <laughs> You know, uh, remediators, I, I guess, fall into one of two categories. They either use antimicrobial products or they don't. And for those that do use antimicrobial products, there, there are some, I, I guess, very distinct chemical differences between how these antimicrobial materials work. Uh, you know, in certain yep. situations, they might be using an oxidizer such as peroxide or... Uh, chlorine and other situations they may be using a quaternary ammonium chloride or a phenolic or or something like that um, the do antimicrobial products in general or specifically adversely af uh, affect the performance of the micrometer system um, no they don't they don't affect the performance in fact we've used uh, the micrometer has been used to um, demonstrate the efficacy of different types of um, antimicrobial or removal type techniques um, in, in environments from different kinds of surfaces and uh, different, uh, just different ways of applying that. Um, the, and the reason that that is possible with, with the micrometer is that it's not um, so much about is the microbial growth viable it's is the microbial is the microbial material or the fungal material well, I, say, I should say fungal material is the fungal material still there mm -hmm. and so you can make an applicant for instance someone can say well i'm going to spray this um antimicrobial uh product and it's going to kill all the, the cells and that's fine but if the objective of the remediation is to remove the material if you did a test you'll still get um you'll still get a response from the micrometer demonstrating that it's not it's the fungal material is still there okay. we actually have two texted questions that uh, i would like to get answered we, we kind of like to give our uh listening audience uh you know priority on doing these uh, the first one is what does spore trap sample results tell us about the building where the sampling was done and I guess the second part to that question, uh, don't false negative results occur for a large percentage of sampling uh, when done with spore trap? I can repeat it or, or whatever if you need me to do that. No, I think those are, I think those are very good questions. Um, spore trap samples are, you know, have been the standard for measuring um, airborne fungal concentrations for, for quite a while. But I think that there's a lot of documentation out there uh, made in presentations and actually even in papers that have, um, have shown exactly uh, what I think this person is, is trying to get at in that, you know, it takes a lot of sport trance to be able to really give you some confidence that you've characterized that space. Um, and I think there's several reasons for that. One is the collection efficiency of the different spore traps varies quite a bit. Um, the the amount of sample that you're you can the volume of the sample that you can collect on a spore trap is very small. 
150 liters of air, and some people are only collecting even less than that, but 150 liters of air is not very representative of very many spaces, <laughs> maybe a closet, or, you know, but it's just not very representative. And so in order to have a, a really a representative sample, you need to collect a lot of sample, a lot of spore traps. And then there's just the, the between the collection efficiency and the um, optical microscopy, and there's just so many different um, points along the process that can introduce air. And we're hoping that these ASTM standards are going to help minimize those errors, but you still have quite a number uh, of points of, of issue, shall I say. And so, you know, I think that most of these methods, um, or I think that most of the documents like ACGIH, uh, the bioaerosols book, a lot, um, this, the ASTM standard that we're writing, the, the assessment guide, all talk about the fact that um, if you're going to collect sample, you need to collect sample, you know, collect me, basically my mantra in my life has been collect meaningful data. And if the data isn't going to tell you something, tell you what you want to know, in other words, it's not going to answer the question you've asked, then, you, then you're wasting your time. And so I think the same thing applies to spore trap samples, is that you understand the limitations of the sampling method and try to overcome those with your sampling strategy. And so collecting one sample of anything is probably not going to be very um, meaningful. You know, I think you've touched. I think you've touched upon the other text question, but I'm just going to read it. And, and if you want to add anything or remove anything, uh, uh, please do that. Uh, why is ASTM developing a method like fungal spore trap sampling uh, when it has so many limitations? Oh, that's a great question. The answer is because that's what people are using. <laughs> okay. You know what. We're trying, the focus of the committee, um, it was actually the committee was developed, the subcommittee was developed to be able to get a handle on and try to standardize what people are using. Now, does it make it the best method? Maybe not. But it does try to unify and organize how laboratories are in analyzing and how practitioners are collecting so that we're all doing, at least we're all doing, we're all marching in the same direction, in other words. And that's what we're trying to do is get some consensus. Okay. We're probably going to run over time a couple of minutes, if you don't mind. We're going to go into what we call our roundup. Lisa, please, you know, hang <laughs> on, and we'll bring everybody back and, uh, you know, for final questions and, and final comments. Sure. Go ahead. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up. Move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw high. Cut them out, ride them in, ride them in, let them out, cut them out, ride them in, raw Okay, I think we're going to start with our technical director, Dr. Dieter Weil, for either final, final questions or comments. Dieter? Uh, yeah, well, again, uh, we, we, I touched upon it. Uh, Lisa did uh, touch upon it. And it still bothers me incredibly that the sport traps, all of which claim to be very efficient in collecting you know, articles, particulate matter, including uh, uh, spores, uh, mold spores, and for that matter, bacteria. Anyway, so that, that bothers me, and I said, which one is the better one? 
and, and, and what is the error? And that brings in something else that uh, Lisa touched upon. If you give me a methodology and you tell me what the error is, well, then I don't make an error anymore. That is the beauty of it. If I know it's plus or minus 5%, I don't care whether it's 95, 100, or 105 units of whatever it is. If I know the error, I can make the appropriate uh, decisions when I interpret the data. If I don't know that, I am in deep, deep trouble, I think. And that is what has bothered me from day one when I saw these sports wraps and everybody says ours is better than this and that one. What is the real error? And I, 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 I don't know whether anybody can answer that or wants to answer it. Do we want to <laughs> work with errors for the rest of our life and don't know what the error is? I guess that's the question. Joe? Um, Lisa, I just want to know, did, did you want to uh, answer or add to what Dr. Welf asked? Well, uh, my only comment to that was if you don't know the error, then you don't know whether you're collecting meaningful data, and so I wouldn't collect the data. <laughs> That'd be, you know, I think it's all about good practice, and good practice is understanding what the limitations are on your data. And I think that's essential. To, to any good practice. Okay. I would just like to first thank you for joining us. Second, ask that hopefully down the road you can join us again because I've probably got 10 more questions here we didn't get to, unfortunately. Um, thank you. And, and then um, I'd also like to um, mention just quickly, you've got, I, I saw in some of the literature you've got this, um, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Bactiquant mm -hmm. uh, surface. Uh, maybe you could just tell us uh, as brief as you can, I guess, because we're running out of time. What, is that for bacteria? Is it separate from the micrometer? Is it a different uh, piece of equipment, et cetera? Sure. Um, well, once we had developed the, um, the test for fungi, we started looking at tests for bacteria. And it's similar to the fungi in that it's uh, an enzyme-based analysis that's specific to bacteria, both gram-negative and gram-positive. It's looking at total bacterial biomass. Um, it can be performed in, on surfaces in bulk materials like water, um, and also it can be performed in air uh, samples. We haven't released that methodology yet, but it's, that's where we're moving to. Um, it works on the same equipment, so it's just a different assay, what we call an assay or, or sample test. Okay, good. Okay. Well, that's that's I, interesting. I'd actually like to ask a couple, uh, just kind of zero in on that a, a little bit, Lisa. You know, tip, uh, remediation folks commonly are faced with sewage intrusions, uh, you know, black water, gray water, you know, situations, uh, you know, which occur. Would back to quant be appropriate for, you know, a remediation company, you know, to use? Oh, Absolutely. And in fact, that's pretty much what it, it's being used both by consultants and remediation companies to look at these flooding and back and backup kind of situations. And we are still doing quite a bit of we've we've got some really great data. We have a lot of uh, a lot of different kinds of studies that are going on. And it pretty much is um, been a very positive, very robust um method for quickly identifying what's been contaminated or what's not 
and the level of contamination. Well, Lisa, we always like to, you know, finish these interviews giving the guests the opportunity to, number one, you know, add a, a comment or, uh, you know, is there anything that we missed that you think is important for the listeners to know? Uh, wow, I think you've asked some great questions. I think the, the listeners have asked some great questions, and I'm just very, uh, you know, it's been a joy to be here, and I that would be flattered to come back and, and oh. talk more. And I love this ASTM committee. I guess the one thing I would say is that I really would encourage people to spend the $75 uh, and join ASTM. Uh, when you join ASTM, you can actually identify, you can join as join, just join it and you're part of the society. But you can also, when you join, and it doesn't cost any more, identify the committees that you'd like to be involved in or, or you know, be more focused on, and I would encourage you to join 22.08 um, and get involved. And when you do that, uh, if you sign, join ASTM and specify 22, uh, 22.08, you'll actually get a look, an early look at all of the work items that we are working on and be able to comment and get involved. So bring it on. <laughs> Perfect. Well, what we'd like to do is if, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, oftentimes listeners, uh, you know, may have a question and they'd like to contact you directly. Um, do you have an email uh, address? We'd like you to give that if, if you're okay with it. And also, uh, you know, a little advertisement, how can people get in touch with Mycometer to learn, you know, more about your products and, you know, perhaps purchase it. So uh, if you could give that contact information, I'm sure our listeners would appreciate it. Oh, sure. Well, thank you. Yes, my email is lrogers, R-O-G-E-R-S, at mycometer.com, and that's M-Y-C-O-M-E-T-E-R. Our website is www.mycometer.com. You can email me um, about if you're interested in the equipment or have some specific questions about ASTM or anything we've talked about today or anything else you want to talk about, that's good, uh, certainly. And I can help you um, with the Micometer and, and back to Quant uh, questions as well. Okay. All right. Well, before we go, we'd like to first thank our guest, uh, Lisa J. Rogers uh, with Micometer. Uh, I'd like to thank my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes. Environmental Ann Kowalecki, our technical director, Dr. Dieter Weil. Most uh, importantly, you, uh, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IQ Radio. We're going to enter a big interview next week. We're going to talk to structural drawing equipment pioneer, Claude Blackburn. So we're looking forward to that interview. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 